0: So to me, it always boils back down to the consumer. What do they need? What are they missing? And how can I deliver against that? And then how much do I understand about that person so that I can talk to them in a way that they will be receptive to my message? This is the CMO and Joe podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct to consumer e commerce companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. Welcome
1: to the podcast, Tia. Thanks for having me, Joe. I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. You're a proven brand and marketing leader, um, team builder as well, obviously the VP of uh, Walker Brands and Company. Um, But before I jump into all of that, how about you give us a little backstory, and kind of Tia's origin story?
0: Yeah. Um, So funny enough, I did not always know I was going to end up in marketing. My uh, undergraduate degree was in chemical engineering. Uh, And so... I had plans to be on the research and development side of things, Um, but an internship at Procter and Gamble in research and development is where I got exposed to marketing, actually working with marketers on my project. And I came back to school my senior year realizing that I would much more, you know, rather work in marketing than in engineering or research and development. Uh, And so I knew then that I was going to have to go to business school to get my MBA so I could make the transition from R&D over to marketing. Uh, And that's what I did. Um, So I got my uh, MBA and... Still didn't go into marketing right away. Then I had yet another change of heart right before I graduated business school. I was like, well, let me go try something else. <laughs> uh, and I went uh, to go work for United Technologies Corporation, which is a big um, industrial conglomerate. You know, At the time, they owned Otis Elevators, Carrier Air Conditioners, Pratt & Whitney, Jet Engines, among other things. And so I started out there in a leadership development program, finished the program, went to work in corporate communications um, at corporate headquarters, basically doing a lot of our corporate philanthropy. So working with nonprofits and helping build our image in the community. And then after that, so three years after I graduated business school, I decided I would really go back to what I thought I wanted to do, which was CPG brand management. And so that's how I ended up back in the, the field. By then it's 2007. And I started off as an ABM assistant brand manager at uh, Johnson & Johnson.
1: Very cool. And just to give some context to the audience, uh, what would you say is the biggest thing Walker and company brands do or does that uh, maybe people aren't familiar with?
0: Oh, um, Well, as honestly a lot of people still are learning about uh, our brand. So Walker & Company, founded in 2013 by Tristan Walker, um, really to design health and beauty products for people of color, primarily Black people. Um, The first brand, Bevel, uh, is a line of grooming products designed for Black men, made with Black hair and Black skin in mind. Um, and it's really a head-to-toe solution, which people may not know. As of this year, it's expanded beyond just shaving uh, and facial care products to be full head to toe from a hair product, shampoo, conditioner, you know, body products, your body wash, your lotions, your soaps. So head-to-toe grooming, bevel could be your full solution um, for Black men. Um, but you know, beyond the products we make, um, you know, the purpose. Uh, Behind that is really all about supporting black men and the black community. And so there's a lot we do um, on the philanthropic side of things to really support, you know, black people in America, which is extremely timely given what we're facing in America um, right now. But, you know, when COVID hit, we were one of the first companies to give back to uh, one of our big consumer bases, which is Barbers. Um, And partnering with the mayor of Atlanta, Atlanta being our hometown, to create a a fund to support those who had to close their businesses and were struggling financially. Um, You know, we partnered with a school in Chicago and all boys Minority school um, to give these students laptops when schools close because it's a low income neighborhood. They would be struggling with distance learning. Um, and we wanted to ensure that they didn't fall behind. We already know that Black students are more likely to fall behind. And so we wanted to do anything we could to pre- prevent that. Um, you know, after the uh, unfortunate murder of George Floyd um, and the, all of the rising protests around racial justice in America. You know, a lot of companies were talking about giving money and and giving money to organizations, which is great. We did that too, but we wanted to do more, something that would be tangible to the community. So we partnered with Headspace to offer free uh, mental health services to anyone in the Black community who wanted to sign up for it. There was no catch, no strings. We just gave everyone a code, take this over to Headspace. You can sign up for a free month of mental health services. Um, And so we really, truly believe in being a force for good in our community. And that's something that people may not be aware of, right? Because most brands, it's all about the bottom line and and selling products. And absolutely, that's important to us, too. Um, But we really want to show that we care about our community, right? We are a Black-founded company. Our CEO and founder is a Black man. And so we truly believe in giving back to the Black community. And so that's something that we think about and talk about
1: all the time. Mm, absolutely. And yes, going back to the COVID piece, uh, I know you're a big advocate for mental health, especially in the Black community. And you did not mention all the things happening right now uh, in the United States with the protests and obviously the pandemic. Um, but for you personally, how have you managed to work through that even get through it. it's uh obviously it's an anxiety riddle time for everybody but for you personally have you been able to I guess stay, stay, stay yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah you, you know it's funny it, it didn't bother me at first because I'm an introvert by nature I'm a homebody and so at first it's like oh well this is great no pressure <laughs> to go out and be social um over time, it begins to wear on you. And so then it to me, it's really important to have those things that ground you. You know, I've got great, you know, family and friend relationships. So it's constantly talking to those people. Um, It was really ensuring that I took care of myself and created balance. Because one of the things that quarantine did is it made it really easy to just be on and working all the time right because you're not leaving the house there's no commute there's no getting dressed so you get up you work and you may not even realize it right and you're working super late and you're not really giving yourself any time and so one of the things I had to do was really create boundaries and give myself grace and say I'm not going to work all the time I'm going to start work at this time I'm going to take a break here I'm going to stop work at this time to ensure that I still had, you know, the opportunity to relax and take some time for me to do whatever I wanted to do. Maybe it was just veg out and watch TV. Maybe it was to read a book, you know, whatever it was. Um, go for a walk outside, something to, to you know, disconnect. Um, one of the other things I've had to do is I stopped watching the news. Um, for the most part, you know, I still read the news. So I'm one of those people, right. I like to read, you know, read the paper online and all those things, but there was just so much that was, you know, it can really overwhelm you and depress you if you don't choose to disengage. And I was one of those people who used to always was watching the news, always paying attention, but for my mental health, I had to take a break. I was like, I can't take all of the, the negativity that's in the news right now. So I'm going to read because then I can be selective about which articles I read, um, versus being force fed what's coming through through the TV. So that was something big um, that I've done. But it's very much um, protect my peace. You know, take the time that I need to decompress, unwind, and to you know allow myself rest.
1: Absolutely, I love that. Protect your peace. Um, cause I find sometimes that, yeah, the news just bombards you 24 seven and you just got to really protect that, protect your heart, protect your brain. So, um, but yeah. one thing I did really want to ask you about Tia was, uh, you mentioned work from home. It's easy to just put your pajamas on and just go to work. But, um, obviously you're a big leadership, um, builder. So I'm just curious, how have you managed to adapt to the work from home, um, lifestyle? I know you on, on LinkedIn, you mentioned, uh, leadership's the second full-time position, but, uh, uh, for you personally, how have you been able to manage?
0: Yeah. You know, it, it hasn't been as bad as I thought it would be, um, or as, as difficult, you know, for me, the big thing is constantly checking in with my team. You know, we always had weekly one-on-ones and I've always been ruthless about keeping those on the calendar. Um, you know, they may have to shift if something comes up, but always keeping the weekly one on ones. And then we've always got digital tools. Like we use Slack within our organization. So, you know, being able to easily message and check in with people constantly asking my team, how they're doing, how they're feeling about their workload, how they're feeling about their work-life balance. Um, and so it's really just been staying in constant communication digitally, Um, And it's funny, like for the first several months, like I didn't usually turn my camera on because I I wasn't dressed. My hair wasn't done. I couldn't go to the salon. Look look at my like, this is not for public consumption. Right. Um, Lately, I've tried to get a little bit better about cutting it on. (laughs) Just so they can see and we can they can feel a little more interaction. Um, but you know, it's not something I mandate, but it's like, Hey, I'm going to turn my camera on today just so you can see that I really am engaged. Like I'm listening to you. I'm not multitasking. Um, but yeah, it's just constant communication, right? So uh, there is no, you can't just drop by someone's desk or anything like that anymore. So it's slacking, you know, or sending an email or texting, and just ensuring that the team is fully engaged and that they know that I'm still fully engaged.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that engagement piece is super important because it's so easy to just multitask on your phone and also take a conference call as well. But uh, no, that's super important. Uh, I'm curious, what would you say your unique skill has been as a marketer even? that's um, helped you along your business career?
0: Yeah, um, you know, I love to tell people my superpower is... Building relationships um, and this whole idea of collaboration and, and building a coalition, and I, I know that's probably one of the number one things that's helped me be successful. Um, because anyone can have the, you know, the the skills of, of a marketer and do the work. Like that's that's you know par for the course. But so much of what I do and you have to do, especially as you move up, is Influence people and get people on board with what you're doing. And so because I have spent time in every organization, really building relationships with all of my key stakeholders and cross-functional partners, it's a lot easier for me to get things done. People want to work with me. They want to help me. They want to help us win. And so that's what enables that flawless execution. You know, people like Tia, man, you get things done. You get, (laughs) you know, but like, it's not like I'm in a vacuum by myself. I'm just really, really good at bringing people along on the journey and and it's motivating them to to want to support me. So that's been my superpower, 100%. um, And is being able to come in, build relationships with all the key people so that people want to work with me. Um, and I, I know for a fact that I wouldn't have been as successful as I was if I hadn't been able to do that, right? That's internal cross-functional partners. That's people on my team who work for me. That's agency partners. You know, it, it really runs uh, um, across the board, but that's that's definitely my, my superpower.
1: Absolutely. One thing I do always run across just speaking with peers and other entrepreneurs is, um, the topic of imposter syndrome. Um, so as you go up, uh, I guess in job title or even up through your business, how have you been able to manage uh, that imposter syndrome?
0: I just wrote a post about this on LinkedIn, maybe like two weeks ago, if that maybe not even that long ago. Um, and, and so I love this question so much. Um, to be clear, it has not gone away for me. So people would say like, Oh, you seem so confident. I was like, Oh yeah, I believe in faking it till you make it. (laughs) Um, but Oh, there are so many times where you sit in the room, um, especially before this current position, you know, where now I'm at a really minority company. So most of the people there look like me. Um, but when you're in your big corporations and you're the only person that looks like you at the table or you're the youngest person at the table, it can be really intimidating. Um, but I always just remind myself, like, no, I deserve to be here. I've earned the right to be here, right? I've got the credentials, you know, I've got the experience and I've got the ideas, right? So they hired me for a reason. So I know I'm capable. Clearly, they know I'm capable, but they wouldn't have given me this job. Let me just do what I know how to do. And it's like I said, it's a constant, you know, reminder. Um, and it's definitely—I will say—definitely gets easier, or it's gotten easier for me as I've gotten older because I remain confident in my abilities. But there are always those moments where you, you know, you start to feel that like, what am I? What am I doing here? Do I deserve, in, you know, to be in this room? And you just gotta remind yourself, like, yeah, you—you you deserve to be here. You've earned this, right? So, but I love that you asked that question. It's something that I know so many um, women, so many minorities face in terms of man, do I really belong
1: here? Absolutely. I think that's an important uh, topic to talk about as well. But uh, speaking about your capabilities, um, you're obviously a super talented marketer. So I'm curious, what kind of um, campaigns have been the most successful for you uh, in your career?
0: Um, You know, I've been fortunate to work on a lot of really great campaigns and, you know, big launches and campaigns with really big budgets, campaigns with small budgets. Um, And I think the ones that I get most excited about are those that were really based off of a unique uh, consumer insight. And that really brought the brand to life in a, you know, really unexpected or, or different way to really break through. Uh, One of the ones and I actually we did uh, this campaign two years in a row uh, when I was on Pop Tarts and the target audience for Pop Tarts uh, is teenagers and young adults. Right. So from like really from like middle school up through your college students and our bullseye was really like that high school, senior, college freshman and so we spent a lot of time really digging into who this consumer is and what do they care about and how do we appeal to them, right? Because you think about that audience and, you know, that's now what you would call Gen Z is they're finicky, right? They they know what they want. They know what they think is cool. And if you don't fall into that bucket, forget it. And so, you know, and you can't be seen as trying too hard or, or anything like that. So we spent so much time with you know, consumers trying to learn and understand, you know, what do they value? What are they passionate about? Uh, And one of those things was music, right? And that sort of crossed the boundaries, no matter what age you were within that bucket, you know, no matter your, whether you were a girl or a boy, whether you were, you know, minority or not minority, music really, you know, resonated to you, right? Resonated with you um, and was sort of like, so critical to your life. So it was like, okay, well, what can we do in the music space to add value, something that these kids would appreciate? And so we had partnered, um, the the brand had partnered with Live Nation in the past to put on like concerts with pop stars. But when I joined the brand, we wanted to take it a step further beyond just a concert where, sure, you'll reach a few thousand kids, right? That can actually go to the concert in whatever city you pick. What's something that can have broader scale? It's like, well, music content, right? So we partnered that first year with some um, pop stars at the time um, Jesse J, Janae Aiko, um, and a boy group out of London called Rixton. And we had them, we brought them together and we had them make a song. DJ Mustard uh, produced it. And, you know, we filmed this whole process and in the studio, these artists who different genres, you know, pop, R&B, they've never worked together and filmed them coming together to make this song. We released this as content online and the final product, the final song. Um, And it was really, really successful. um, So much so that the following year, we're like, okay, what else can we do? And so we partnered with some more artists. We partnered with Neo and... um, DNCE, which was really, they had just come out with their song, Cake by the Ocean. It was, you know, that was the song of the summer that year. Um, Kiki Palmer and some others. And we brought artists together to do mashups, right? So, okay, now we're going to have DNCE sing a Neo song and Neo, (laughs) you're going to sing one of their songs. and You know, we're going to film this content, this mashup of these artists coming together. Um, And that one actually, that campaign actually ended up winning an award. We won a bronze Effie for it, which was my first marketing award. I was super excited. But, you know, it just really shows that when you really understand your consumer and you dig into, you know, what matters to them, you can really create something that will resonate um, and have a positive impact on the business, right? Both of those campaigns were successful, uh, not just driving a lot of buzz and getting media attention, but actually, you know, driving the business and driving more people to buy Pop-Tarts.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, having that's engaging and also authenticity i find helps helps brands really engage with their customers um what what piece of advice obviously we have lots of uh marketers even business owners uh listening but what piece of advice would you give somebody wanting to um launch a brand or even uh scale it to um a point where i guess consumers are raving about
0: yeah i mean if you really want if you want to launch a brand you know, the first thing you've really got to do is understand who this is for, right? Understanding your target consumer is the most important thing you can do because otherwise you could be making something that no one needs, right? And so anything that you are looking to launch or offer to consumer should be something that's going to meet a consumer need um, and meet it in a way that other products and brands aren't or where there is no, nothing currently in that space, right? So you found a white space opportunity. So that's the first thing. Is this something that is going to be useful and something that my consumer needs? Um, And then understand everything about that consumer so then you know how to position it, right? Because this could be something great that, oh my gosh, yes, they absolutely need this. But if you don't know how to talk to them about it, they're not gonna understand, right? And so they're not gonna see the value. So understanding how do you position this brand in a way that they are open to trying it and learning about it and you know, all of that. So it, to me, it always boils back down to the consumer. What do they need? You know, what are they missing? And how can I deliver against that? And then how much do I understand about that person so that I can talk to them in a way that they will be receptive to my message? Um, those are, that's, that's key. Key like Those are the foundational number one things that you have to do um you know everything else you can figure out on the way i don't think you necessarily have a huge marketing budget to launch something so it's not about spending a ton of money in advertising nope that has nothing to do with it um obviously you want to ensure that the product is available so that you know whether it's distribution in store or online somewhere that it's easily accessible right um so the, the, that's the sort of the foundation. But the first thing you're going to do is you've got to fully understand your target consumer. What do they need? And how does my product meet that need better than anything else that they could find?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Has there been, on that note, has there been any um, marketers, even brands that you really admired that really meet that kind of criteria that you can share?
0: Oh, good question. Um, you know, I'd say that there are... Um, A lot of brands that have done this successfully over the years, right, where they've created a new category um, or, you know, launched something that people would have never necessarily thought about before. But then, you know, the way that they've positioned it like, oh, wow, now I need to have it. You know, one sort of random category that comes to mind is like the alternative milks. Right. Um, With like your your nut milks and your, you know, your almond milks. Like there have been some brands that have been super successful in this space by telling the story of here's why you should be drinking these alternative milks as opposed to regular dairy milk. Um, You know, I love brands that uh, that do that. Right. In that instance, it's something that people may not have really been thinking about on a broad scale. Now it's everywhere. Right. You saw the same thing when uh, Greek yogurts came out. It's like, yeah, I was always eating regular Greek yogurt. What's this? Why do I need to have this? Right. And then that surpassed and became the bigger part of the category. Um, so Kumi, I'm talking about food I must be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Is <it last> time? <laughs> no, i not. I don't know why I keep talking about food rent But I think, mean, you know, I was trying to avoid some of the obvious brands. Like people always bring up a lot of the the obvious brands that do it well. And I I'm not even gonna mention like some of the tech brands and things like that. Obviously, they have. Um, but to me, it's, it's just being able to successfully, you know, identify a trend and an opening in the marketplace. And I think, you know, on the opposite end, you see brands that have failed because they didn't, you know, innovate or keep up with, you know, the trends, or, or understand that their consumer was moving in this direction and your brand is going over here. You're going to lose. Right. And that's when you see brands fail or businesses lose you know like a Kmart goes out of it right Kmart forget Walmart Kmart was it if you go back a few decades right they were the big ones and they did not keep up with where the consumer was headed and then they lost out Um, so that's where you you know it it all always back down to the consumer and being super on the pulse of where things are going so that you can evolve and go with them.
1: No, absolutely. Just want to quickly switch gears. Um, I actually came across one of your uh, posts on LinkedIn I found really profound. Um, I'm going to quickly read it here so I don't forget. But uh, you said the best career advice you've ever gotten was don't attach yourself to a company, a place, or a thing, but attach yourself to a mission, a calling, or a purpose, which I found really amazing. So I want to ask you, what's what's Tia's purpose? (laughs)
0: Oh, yeah. And that's so funny, right? That's a question that no one ever asked me. Um, And I wish that they did, you know, because people get so focused on just like, oh, the career journey and moving up the ladder and all that. But like purpose, like my purpose in life is to help as many people as I possibly can. Right. I recognize I've been very blessed throughout my whole life. Right. From growing up, I have a wonderful family, wonderful parents who motivated and inspired me and supported me on my journey. You know, I've been very successful in my career. um, And so I'm always about giving back right? I'm about mentoring the younger generation coming up behind me. So I do that. I have a ton of little mentees. Um, I believe in giving back through community service, you know, constantly volunteering with various organizations. Um, uh, Right right now, the main one that I'm involved with is Big Brothers Big Sisters Atlanta. Um, So that's my purpose is just to help others, um, and give back as much as I possibly can. I feel like that's why I'm here. I am not here, you know, to make a lot of money and get a job. Like that's great. Yes, I do want to do those things, but I want to do those things because it allows me to help more people. Um, and so that that is my purpose. My purpose is to live a life that was um, giving to others. And so when people talk about me when I'm gone. That's what they'll say. They'll say Tia um, was always giving back and was always helpful to others.
1: Absolutely. No, I love that. What would you say is the proudest thing you've done that maybe we haven't touched on on the interview today?
0: <laughs> um, hey, that's that's a tough one. I, you know, because it's not something that I, I really sit and think about in terms yeah. of like, what am I most proud of? Um, you know, I think I'm, I am proud of the fact that I haven't changed, right? I'm the same person now uh, that I was however many years ago. I'm not going to. But the, the point being that, you know, as I've matured, as I've advanced in my career, as I've moved up the ladder, um, I'm the same person, right? And I tell people that I'm not intimidating. I'm very honest. I'm very you know, relaxed, I enjoy talking to people, I enjoy sharing what I've learned. Um, And so I guess that's maybe the thing that I'm most proud of is that I've been able to stay true to myself. You know, even in corporate America, where some people say it changes you, I have not let it change me. Um, If anything, I'm doing everything I can to change it, (laughs) to change (laughs) America, to make it easier for people that look like me to succeed. Um, So yeah, that's, that's what I'll say I'm most proud of.
1: Awesome. No, I have to definitely agree. It's are a pleasure to talk to, you and um, I really enjoy the conversation. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, one thing I did want to ask was what sort of resources have really helped you along the way uh, through your path and journey?
0: Ooh, um, you know, it, it's always important to have mentors. Um, You know, people that you can go to for advice and 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 talk to like that is something I've had my entire life. You know, even going back to being younger, like my my parents were my first mentors, helping me navigate my career. And then as you you know move along, whether it was professors or other people I've worked with, um, and even now, right, it's people who are up here, and I aspire to get up there. So, mentors, huge resource. Um, something I think that everyone should have. Um, I'm big into networking for organizations, especially like from a marketing side, whether it's things like brand innovators or a the Association of National Advertisers, you know, constantly going to these events and learning from other marketers and hearing them speak. And like, to me, that's invaluable. And you should, you know, take advantage of that as much as possible. It's all virtual now. Um, A lot of it is free now because of the fact that it's virtual. So those are are great resources to just sort of stay up to date on what's happening in the industry and and trends and, you know, to stay fresh as a marketer. Um, That's to me definitely um, a critical resource. And, you know, there are books uh, on marketing. I've read some. I'll be honest, like I read a lot, but more so fiction, like reading is an escape for me. Um, but books like How Brands Grow, which are kind of like fundamental to, to marketing and, and thinking about how do you grow a business is one that I still refer back to. Um but yeah, for me it's it's people. To me, people are the best resources, and that's where I can learn the most is from talking and engaging with
1: other people. Absolutely. I have to agree, it's uh, what's the saying? It's who you know or who knows you. Yeah. It's, one of, it's yeah. one of them. But uh yeah it's interesting to say mentors that's uh, another topic I always have conversations with with peers and um other business folk as well but uh, from your perspective, how do you find that mentor that really helps guide you and um, what sort of things do you go about doing to actually find somebody like that?
0: yeah, and you know it it varies um you know in some instances, I found the companies I was working in and you know, I would see a leader who I really admired and, you know, respected. And so it would just be asking them, <laughs> you know, um, then, you know, most times people are going to say, yes, they're, you know, they're usually flattered. Um, and then it's on you as the mentee to help maintain that relationship. Uh, so that's one way I found them via companies. Um, people have found me on LinkedIn. I've gotten cold, cold, cold calls or cold emails from just, you know, young Marketers and they've they've seen my post or seen me speak somewhere and um, reached out and asked if I'd be willing to talk to them for a bit. I always say yes, um, you know. So it can happen just about anywhere, uh, and it's all about you know what are the steps that you take to go about you know pursuing that mentor. So whether it's finding them on LinkedIn, whether it's someone you work with and sending them a, a note. Um, and I've just been very fortunate in that regard that I've worked with some great people over the years or been introduced to some great people over the years via my network. Um, and I've been able to find mentors that way.
1: Absolutely. One thing I always love to ask my um, guests are, um, what sort of social media networks are you really, uh, I guess, are your favorites, uh, if you will.
0: Yeah. Um, I am a social media, I won't say a junkie because I'm not on everything, but okay. the, there's really only three social media networks that I'm on and I'm, I'm on them every day. Uh, and that is Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn every single day. Uh, I am on those platforms. You know, LinkedIn one is, is a great one. And I would say it's really just been during quarantine where I've been more active on there. Um, you know, prior to that, yes, Facebook and Instagram, which are more so keeping in touch, connected with friends or to find memes to laugh at. Um, but LinkedIn, you know, I've really been, uh, enjoying lately as you read through, like just the posts that people make talking about their career or keeping up on, you know, the news and the different companies that I'm interested in or the industries that I follow, um, and I've, I've realized like I'm learning a lot um, about people who I'm connected to or or even finding other people to connect to. Um, because what I love about LinkedIn is it'll show you something that someone you know has either liked or commented on. So then I read and comment, you know, and so I'm making other connections that way. Um, and so that's been really, really great. And, um, and really using it as a a a channel to help build my brands. Like you said, like I've been posting a lot more frequently. You've seen some of those. I only post when I actually have something to say. Uh, (laughs) It is not every day and I'm not posting just to get attention, but it's posting if, you know, I've been thinking about something and I was like, oh, this is interesting to me. I'm going to share this now. Um, So I've been posting uh, a lot more frequently uh, on LinkedIn than I have in the past. But yeah, that's me. I'm more often than not, I'm a lurker on, on, <laughs> on Facebook, Instagram. I rarely post, you know, I might share something, especially now, like there's just so much in the news as it relates to elections and what's going on in the world. I may share those types of content, but like individually posting something, I don't really do that much on social media except for LinkedIn now.
1: Okay, you're not posting any TikTok dances? Uh, <laughs> I am not on TikTok.
0: I think I'm too low. I never got with... Snapchat, I just never understood it. I think, again, it was too old. TikTok, n- no. Pinterest, I don't get it. Um, so <laughs> Twitter, if somebody sends me a tweet, something interesting is going on, you know, then I'll read. Uh, but like, I'm not active on any of those channels.
1: No, oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. Only a few more questions here for you, Tia. Uh, one thing I'm curious is to know what you're curious about right now. Could be personally, could be professionally, but what's something Tia's really. Um,
0: I am really curious about what the world is going to look like when we get on the other side of COVID. And I'm curious about the world overall. And I'm curious about what it means from a corporate America and marketing standpoint, right? Because you've, you're seeing how so much has changed and we've evolved how we work, we've evolved how we interact with people. We've evolved how we consume content and the type of content. And I'm just curious, like, will that continue post-COVID? You know, will it go away? You're seeing all these companies now roll out work from home permanently policies. You know, is that going to broaden? Are you going to see even more companies do that? Or no, people are going to go back to the way it was. You know, marketers really had to pivot when this happened Um, especially at first when things like sports went away and a lot of the big TV things that you were advertising on went away and people were thinking differently about how do you reach consumers, couldn't do experiential activation. That was a huge part of my marketing plan this year, you know, events and sampling. And so it really forces you to innovate, uh, which is awesome. And so I'm just curious what will look like, you know, a year from now, hopefully when this is, but a distant memory, I hope, you know what? What has changed indefinitely, and what has reverted back?
1: Absolutely, trying to find that new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you mentioned experiential marketing. Uh, so, just hypothetically, let's say I was giving you, I was given, or I gave you fifty percent more budget. What sort of things would you invest that into to kind of get that ROI back?
0: Uh, right now, and, and see this. <laughs> My answer would change depending on where I was working, where what position the brand was in, how much budget I already had. You know, <laughs> um, you know I'm at a smaller company now with smaller budgets compared to when I was at larger companies with really huge budgets. Um, and so, oh, I, I think if, if I had 50% more money, some of it is just going to get invested into the channels that I'm already in that I know work and are proven and that I'm frankly just not fully sufficient because hey, I need I need more money. So I would invest more, you know, in, in our paid social, in our online video, all of those kinds, you know, paid search, all of those standard things. Um, but for me, I always believe that you should spend at least 10% of your budget learning by trying new things. So you know part of that would go into testing new channels that we're not currently playing in. Um, whatever they may be. And again, it ties back to who your consumer is and what they're passionate about. Um, so new channels that um, we've not played in or new channels that are just coming on the map that no one has really played in and sort of being first to, to try those out. Um, you know, my target now is uh, black men, as I said. So when you think about black men, where really, they keep thinking about sports, You know, they're into gaming and all these types of things. So how can we play in these areas in a bigger way? Um, Experiential, obviously not now because of COVID. But um, if we weren't in a COVID world, absolutely. Because I do think being able to have those one-on-one face-to-face interactions with consumers is really valuable, especially in a young brand that you're still trying to, you know, make that connection to the consumer, that, that would be one that I would invest in if we weren't in, in a COVID world. Um, but yeah, the bulk of it would go towards proven, tested channels and just ramping that up. And then, like I said, at least 10%, maybe 20, would go to testing new things that we haven't done before.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the time's flown by. I mean, it's such a pleasure to talk to. You. Um, but I shall only have a couple more questions here for you, Tia. Um, yeah. What can our listeners connect with you online?
0: Um, well, my, uh, Instagram is public, but again, I I don't post a ton there. LinkedIn is what I recommend. (laughs) You know, um, feel free to connect with me, shoot me a message. If you found value in anything I've said or shared or posted, or you have a question. Um, I love engaging with people, you know, give me a little bit of time. Sometimes I get inundated, but, um, I will respond. Uh, so yeah, LinkedIn or Instagram, you can find me, my uh, Tia Cummings, um, just like my name says. So um, I haven't
1: found another one with my name. It should be easy to find me. <laughs> You're unique. Um, yeah, no, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Since this is a brand and marketing podcast, I like to end it with um, the guessing a word or a phrase that really describes their brand. So my last question to you, Tia, is what's one word or phrase to describe Tia Cummings' brand?
0: Oh, um, you know... I, I hate this word because it's so overused, um, but it, you know, it's authentic going back to what we talked about. Right. Um, so it's, it's definitely part of it is authentic because what you see is what you get with me. I'm consistent. Um, and then it's this whole idea of, uh, I think maybe servant leadership cause that's how it goes back to helping other people. And by helping other people, they help you, That whole relationship piece is how I've been able to be so uh, successful. So it's, I think it's this sort of authentic servant leadership, um, you know, is, is really who I am and how I'm able to, you know, deliver and accomplish so much. This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.